podcast where we ask intrusive personal questions and try to get a little bit closer to figuring out what the hell gender is. I'm your host and resident gender detective, Molly Woodstock. I'm really excited to introduce you to our first guest, but before I do that, I need to tell you a little bit about the folks who are making this show possible. First up is our wonderful Patreon donors. Thank you so much to everyone who's able to donate a dollar or more to us. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter and help us keep the show going, you can do that at patreon.com gender. If you donate $5 or more, I'll personally mail you a bunch of stickers. So it's a win-win. Next up is Tomboy X. Tomboy X makes underwear that is so comfortable. 
It doesn't write up. It doesn't dig into your skin. It comes in sizes extra small to 4X, and it's all ethically produced and sweatshop free. Best of all, it comes in all patterns and sizes, from bikini to boxer briefs, from plain black to covered in octopi. No matter what you're looking for, Tomboy X has it. So use code TOMBOYS at checkout for 15% off your order at TomboyX.com. Finally, thank you so much to our friends at GladRags for sponsoring the show. If you've been using disposable pads your whole life, you probably don't even realize how uncomfortable they are at this point. But trust me, you could have it so much better. GladRags reusable cloth menstrual pads are so comfy, fleecy, zero waste, and they're honestly really cute. Like I got one with elephants all over it and it makes me happy when I use it, which is not something I ever thought I could feel while on my period. Use promo code GENDER to get $5 off any GladRags cloth pad or an ExoFlow menstrual cup. Hey, before we get to our interview, we're going to try out a segment called This Week in Gender because who doesn't love a good segment? So, This Week in Gender. As of January 2nd, folks born in Oregon can change the name and sex listed on their birth certificate just by filling out a form and turning it in. Oregon is the second state in the nation to adopt these new laws. The first was California. In the past, Oregonians had to post a public notice and file for a court order, which could end up costing hundreds or even thousands of dollars. This new process is all private, it's way faster and more convenient, and it only costs $65. And here's why all of this is a big deal. According to a recent survey, only 10% of transgender folks have proper ID that matches their gender, which can make it really difficult to get work or housing. In fact, in much of America, including previously in Oregon, folks needed to have reassignment surgery before they're allowed to change their legal gender. That's not only super invasive and bioessentialist, but really alienates all of the transgender folks who aren't interested in surgeries. Yeah, so side note, folks, Not all transgender folks want surgeries or even hormones. Some would like to express their gender differently outwardly, but are totally fine with their actual body. And that's totally valid. Not every transgender person has to experience body dysphoria. Regardless, just remember that if you're a cis person asking if a trans person has had the surgery, you sound pretty ignorant. Uh, It's rude and it's none of your business, so don't do that. Anyway, my question is, is Oregon going to let trans folks change their birth certificate to non-binary? In Oregon, you can go to the DMV and get your driver's license changed to non-binary just by filling out a form. You don't need a doctor's order, court order, anything like that. I'm wondering if birth certificates are going to be the same way. I actually couldn't really find any information on this. Uh, Most of the articles I read acted as though non-binary folks don't exist, which, let's face it, is how most people act most of the time. So if you know anything about this, feel free to contact us. I promise you, by the way, that not all of the gender updates will be about Portland or Oregon. This just happened to be in the news right now. This has been This Week in Gender. This week on Gender Reveal, I am thrilled to speak with Nicholas Cummins. Nicholas has spent years playing bass in multiple bands across the Brooklyn music scene and recently released All Belief is Paradise, the debut full-length record from their band Fits, which is their first songwriting effort. They're also a great follow on social media, to be honest. You can find them on Twitter at NicholasFUKC and on Instagram at NicoleRitchieOfficial, which is an amazing handle. 
Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Hell yeah. Thank you. The way we like to start the show is by asking in regards to gender, how do you identify? Um, I identify as non-binary, so anyone can use they, them pronouns for me. I have seen via Instagram, you rock a dress and makeup, and I've seen you wear like traditional mask clothes. Is there a presentation that's the most comfy to you? Um, I think how comfortable I am presenting any kind of way really depends more on the circumstance and my environment um, because I really do love uh, like turning looks in in lots of different ways. Um, you know, I, I love wearing dresses and I love makeup and I love just the entire femme scape of clothes, furs, heels, the entire thing. But I also just like throwing really basic clothes on my body and that kind of like looks mask because I'm six foot one mm-hmm. and like, <laughs> you know, um, so, and I don't mind that at all because it's all just kind of part of who I am and how I feel about myself. So, um, I mean, I, you know, I live in Brooklyn I live work and, and have a band in Brooklyn. And so sometimes I'm like, sometimes I'll have a day job where I'm just like, dude, Nicholas, Mm -hmm. you know, just to make money, uh, just to live my life. But, um, I've been really blessed to have like all sorts of great, uh, friends and opportunities and spaces where I can wear whatever I want. Yeah. When you are dude Nicholas, yeah. uh, the folks that you're working with there, do you feel like there's a part of you that like isn't being seen or acknowledged? Yeah. How is that? But there's always like some down people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's always like some folks, usually younger folks uh, that kind of get it and like you can kind of signal um just by the way like I don't so my partner is also non-binary so I say partner and like I think for the people that I work with that comes off as oh my god straight person using the term partner so annoying eye-rolly you know which is like a feeling that I get yeah I totally understand like if Ezra Klein of like the editor of Vox was like me and my partner I'd be like come on Ezra stop trying to be cool well, it's but, so funny because in Portland, like everyone has picked that up and right. now it's impossible to know anything. Like literally right. today I was at an eye doctor appointment and someone mm-hmm. was like, me and my partner. I'm like, mm? wait, what's happening? <laughs> your, your queer radar is getting scrambled. Uh, yeah. You don't know what's going on. And so it's kind of funny because that I can see that happening. But I also like if my if it's my boss or something or just someone who's like 37, I don't really feel like talking through the entire gender binary spectrum conversation. Um just to make a simple point about like the person I'm dating. Um, but yeah, so there's like awkward things like that. Um, but it doesn't bug me too much. It used to bug me a lot feeling like very not seen and like, you know, begrudgingly scrubbing my nails on a Sunday night, just like, God damn it. Like society making (laughs) me fit in. And I still feel that way sometimes, but I've also just chilled out a lot. Um, it doesn't, doesn't bug me too much honestly like if people are like oh yeah he's gonna do that today like part of my brain is like weird who are they talking about yeah it's just like (laughs) i don't care (laughs) yeah totally um so your partner's also Mm non-binary how often do you get read as a cishet couple and to what extent is that these days more probably when we started dating um my partner flint who's flint kirschenbaum great artist they design 
uh, a lot of Fitz merchandise. Check it cool. out. Cool. Shout out to Flint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so at the time, uh, they were uh, presenting as and living as a trans man. So there was sort of, we just look like gay dudes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, you know, uh, but since then, uh, you know, Flint has identified as non-binary and also is like kind of growing their hair out and just like, you know, wears femme stuff more often, isn't like binding and like wearing bow ties and stuff. <laughs> um, so we probably get red straight like a lot more now. Yeah. How's that feel? It's whatever. Because <laughs> you know. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. it's because we know. And again, I go back to the point about just like, you know, if, I, if I'm just wearing like a black t-shirt and black shorts, um, that could be, you know, that could look mask. Yeah. Um, but it's really not. Like you can put those items of clothing on all sorts of different bodies and they would get red as all sorts of different ways. So I don't see my body as inherently like a masculine vehicle. Totally. So. Doesn't bother me. Well, kind of to that point, like, I think it's so much more transgressive and sort of potentially scary or dangerous to be a person assigned male who's experimenting with a more feminine presentation Mm -hmm. than the other way around. Because like you said, can everyone can wear like traditionally masked clothes and be like, that's fine. Um, So when was the first time you started experimenting with more feminine presentation? And was that scary? Uh, Like five years ago. (sighs) Yeah, totally scary. Um it's such a oh it's so scary like walking into a store and buying a dress just the process of doing it the first couple times is like yeah you're you're nervous as hell and and you know you're gonna get a cashier that's like oh actually the men's clothes are over there and you're gonna be like you're gonna (laughs) run home (laughs) and just like tweet about it um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah it was i remember the first impulse was just like really 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 wanting to ride a bike wearing a dress oh you know like just having that fantasy for a while and then i was like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do that Mm -hmm. um and i did that and i went to the the new york art book fair at moma ps1 which is a huge amazing event with a ton of tables and a ton of zines and books and stuff you can, and a bunch of my friends were working there. So I was just kind of like making the rounds at this giant art book festival in this gorgeous floral dress. Um, and everyone was just super normal and like, didn't say anything. It was like, Hey, what's up, Nicholas? I'm like, Hey, and it felt amazing. And I was just like, I'm, it confirmed to me that like, you know, people like me for, for who I am and like, aren't going to be, weirded out by just me like living the way that I want to totally that's great I love that story cool uh so um you said in an interview once that uh you referenced um pressure to quote describe defend and explain your identity in really personal ways to complete strangers all the time which is what i just did to you so i'm sorry but at least you like, oh, volunteered okay. yourself yeah <laughs> like, I was, you signed I was up prepared for this, for it this um, time <laughs> but can you talk about like in general like what you're referring to with that um yeah i guess i'm just talking about our culture right now and like probably has more to do with um like twitter and giving interviews in the first place and just being a visible human being making art and that generating media and the media feeding your art and getting more attention to your art. So it's a necessary vehicle that you have to go to and go through. And I think that um, probably one of the dumbest things I did for my own like uh, worldview and self-confidence was like become more active on twitter.com. 
uh, because, you know, I've been a fairly political person for a very long time um, to the point where I roll my eyes at how much of like a insufferable activist I used to be in a lot of ways, like about everything, about like cycling and like being a vegan and like um, just I was like a political uh, campaign director for a while. So I was devoting like 60 hours a week to just door knocking and stuff and just would talk my friends ears off about stuff. Um, but so I definitely have a firm grasp of what I believe in, where I'm coming from. And, um, I feel like just once you start diving into the, the absurdist, just imbroglio of uh, takes and counter takes and like sassing and like dunking on people with like superior takes on every issue as they evolve, as our culture moves along, it's like, I don't know. I used to think that the way that like, culture develops like you know from the 90s to the 2000s to the late 2000s or whatever is like people having taste in stuff and that changing the way that we look at the world i feel like now it's like people just like dunking other takes out of existence and then taking the spot of like the coolest newest hottest take um and so you just see so many ugly sides of so many things that like like uh gender and uh, how we talk about gender you know it's it's always been a very messy com- conversation with a lot of um there's a lot of there's too much dunking so i think that that is more what i was referencing like wanting to like understanding that the personal is political and that everything that you do is coded with who you are and why you're able to do it and what else you could be doing etc cetera, etc cetera. But also the need to, like, take a step back every once in a while and breathe and be like, I can be a person eating breakfast. Yeah. Right now. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think Twitter can make folks feel really scared also to say anything Mm -hmm. uh, because, like, gender is really personal and everyone has their own preferences and their own experiences. And yet, like on the internet it's very easy for someone to make a declarative statement like if you ever (laughs) use this word in front of me you are dead to me and i will block you immediately and also you deserve to be kicked off twitter.com definitely and it's just like well yeah but maybe (laughs) that person like has never had the opportunity to educate themselves or maybe they were told specifically by another person that that was okay because all the rules are changing all of the time and they're different in different places and different situations and like there's no way to like bat a thousand on correctly interacting with every person (laughs) in the world and so like we have to like create space for folks to mess up with good intentions and twitter does not allow that in any way yeah it really bugs me i think that um the influence that just like coolness has Mm -hmm. on art and on political discussions is so corrosive because I mean, think of how much more you think of how much more interesting a conversation is one-on-one with your friends about a a topic because people are like saying things and like maybe someone says something messy and they'll get like corrected, but you're like kind of hashing it out and like all coming to a better like understanding of stuff. Um, and you just would not feel safe doing that publicly because you're you you're not like someone who's up to date on the coolest like newest hottest way to think about or describe something, uh, and it shouldn't be like that, you know. I and I feel like um, it's a sad byproduct of like nerd culture having gone so in such a like reddity misogynist direction. 
um, that people who are like unironically interested in in nerdy things or whatever, or just like aren't necessarily very socially suave, just sort of de facto don't fit into this like future that we're building around being cool. Um, and I feel the same way about music and artists and um, the way that we're we're creating art, the way that we're consuming art. Uh, I think it is uh, it's a very distracting force. It's interesting to me that you've observed that we're building, you know, music and community around coolness, because I also think there's sort of an impulse to be cool by being incredibly uncool, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> by just being like the worst, but in yeah. like a sort of gripping way. So yeah. you also have to perfect, am I going to be cool? Am I going to be so incredibly uncool that people think I'm like very, very cool? That's just anti-cool. That's <laughs> yeah, the same yeah. thing. No, like, it is. But yeah, it's just like, you're like, oh, I go out. And then the other person's like, I haven't left my yeah, house exactly. in four million days. <laughs> All I do is eat Doritos and watch the worst television right. show in the world. Like eight million likes. You right. know. Exactly. <laughs> the same thing. Oh, it absolutely is. Um, so speaking of the media and using the <laughs> media to, you know, raise up your art, uh, my friend really wanted me to ask you if there was some sort of magic spell you used to make Pitchfork gender you correctly without an explainer. Um, but in general, I am curious because I'm a journalist and it is it can be hard to convince outlets to use they, them pronouns without a big extra paragraph explaining what that means i think i got lucky in that it was written by sasha geffen Mm -hmm. who is an incredible author uh and writer and uh is queer Mm themselves and um it's just a really knowledgeable music writer who's down with gender and just effortlessly did it right um that's a good question because i didn't ask them to do that they just did it yeah um I could not have asked for a more like just fully focused on my album and reading into the lyrics and getting deep about like the connection between the sound and the lyrics and the form and the function of the album. So wonderful to have that because it could have just been, as your friend says, like a really, really trite repackaging of like queer person makes guitar music which um you know it happens it happens because people kind of have wanted that to happen for a long time we've wanted like acknowledgement of people's identities and representation and stuff um and i think we like just hit the wall where people are now bouncing back from that and sort of feel skeezed out by the idea of being sold by their identity and their music being inherently good because of their identity. I definitely feel grossed out by that whole, um, not, not like discussing it just when you feel like you're, you're just being sold as that Yeah, can feel really weird. Um, so I don't know how I got pitchfork to do that. They just did it. Um, really, really thankful for that. Um, but there've been plenty of other, (laughs) plenty of other, uh, interviews and and press mentions that have been more more heavy handed on that aspect of the album, and so like like I said, I get why they do it because it was kind of asked for for a long time, but um, it's not always the best look. Yeah, do you ever get misgendered by media? No, great, actually. that's awesome. It's I awesome. love that. Yeah, it's great. 
that's a good sign. Yes. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, there was that New York Times feature a couple months back about how rock is now being taken over by women and non-binary mm-hmm. folks. Yes. Um, you're in that scene a lot. Do you feel like there's like a big swell of women and non-binary folks in the DIY music scene right now? Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that article was awesome to see, though. I, I get, you know, I get the criticism, you know, th- that I just leveled against, like, using identity to sell stuff. But I thought that was just a really good showcasing of a very true fact, which is that this movement is happening, that people who aren't men are getting a lot more attention and platforms to do the things that men have always gotten to do. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff coming out because of it. So I was happy when that came out. Definitely. So you toured with Powerbottom when they existed, and I'm not going to ask about Powerbottom unless there's something you want to say. Um, I mean, whatever. I was one of, like, four bass players in that band, but I did tour uh, with them for a full U.S. tour. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should clarify because people listen to this podcast and not know. Firebottom was a queer, gender queer duo that got very mainstream and was very hyped and then was outed as abusers and disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, they didn't handle that well. <laughs> I'll say um, that. I mean, this was all on the way to another question, but I do want to say that you were the first person involved with them that I saw that came out when those allegations came out that were like, oh, this isn't cool, stood up again, yeah. acknowledged them because I was online refreshing, waiting for someone oh to God. acknowledge them. And I so know. I appreciate you just acknowledging that that was out there. I had to, you know, yeah. you can't see something like that. Right. And I mean, I like, I remember that day very well. It was like the day before the album came out. Yeah. And which I, you know, I didn't have anything to do with the album. I wasn't on it. I wasn't like even touring with them for the album tour because I had a job at the time that I didn't want to leave. And honestly, like one tour was enough. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was, it's a very intense band to be in, obviously. Um, Just, you know, hidden abuse aside, it was a lot. Um, Wait, what was a lot? Just, uh, just the, the, the the personalities and the, um, the trajectory of the band being very, um, very focused on like rock stardom and constantly talking about selling stuff out and whatever, whatever. And that being like this very driving force that was, it's not my scene, you know, it's fun to play rock music in a stadium. I'll say that, but not my scene. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So the question that I was sort of slowly guiding us Mm -hmm. to, uh, at the time, Powerbottom was seen as like the newly mainstream queer gender queer band, right? Mm-hmm. And it meant a lot to a lot of folks where that was really the only queer band they were listening to. Mm-hmm. And when Powerbottom sort of combusted, there was a big discussion, I think, on Twitter and other places about who would replace them or whether they should be replaced. Um, and so I'm wondering how, from your perspective, that sort of shook out and whether you feel like there are other bands that are filling that vacuum or if we've sort of moved away from the that model? Well, I think that people were... Press interests were doing everything they could to make the identity of that band and the politics of that band's existence into, like, the next big thing in music. Um, obviously... 
those two people were not the best choice for who to lionize as the next queer icon of American rock music, single-handedly saving guitars, music generally, gender, all this stuff. Um, you know, you, the less disappointing folks could have been chosen. But the point that I kind of walked away with after the dust settled was that we shouldn't just do that. It's dangerous to do that. Um, and I had a really personal firsthand experience with it because, you know, I was there while there were 50-person lines of under-18-year-old queer people dressed to the nines, covered in glitter, having the time of their life, waiting in line for autographs, coming up one by one, talking about how, um, you know, their music had changed their life or this one person came up and talked about how their sister who is a trans girl and who's homeless like used this music to like move on from a really difficult and scary part in their life and like may have saved her life um people with tattoos of the band you know queer is invincible became this rallying cry and i was on tour with them during the election we were the, we were on tour from October 15th to November 20th which meant halfway through Donald Trump got elected president which is became you know obviously it was a fucking horrifying time for all of us but you know um and and for queer kids too you know and so it became this big political thing of just having everyone in the same room rocking out and singing along to all of these anthems and stuff. And then to have Ben be steamrolling people's consent behind closed doors at the same time and having all of these gross, old, edgy, like, Nazi jokes and, like, this old Twitter account that's just a mess... Uh, come out and you know they knew that this is who they were the whole time uh, but they were fine going along with the whole narrative that they were Jesus Christ incarnate came to come to save queer people and they gobbled it up and went with it and when that all went down I wasn't thinking about like oh this album's not coming out anymore I was thinking like how many queer kids are out there right now that are so heartbroken to their core. Like, what did you just take from that trans girl that that friend came up and told us about that, you know, had so much of their life, like, impacted and saved by this music? And he just, like, gave it to them just to to let it fall away. And it's so disappointing. Um, so in terms of filling the vacuum, I was glad that there was, like, sort of an upswell in interest in, like, oh, there are other queer bands. Because there certainly are. Yeah. <laughs> it's really important to go listen to them and not just focus on one, like, let's make a Led Zeppelin of queer music and only care about that. Um, but at the same time, I don't want this vacuum of, like, personal saviors to be filled. Like, I don't think any artist, any artist can live up to that kind of expectation and and we shouldn't as artists go along and and let the media whip us up into these otherworldly figures i wasn't planning on asking about this at all but it's something that i thought about a lot when this all is happening so i'd love to hear your thoughts on it mm -hmm. um 
when Ben was outed as an abuser, all the backlash was like really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, not being involved in it, it seemed like part of it was because the queer DIY community is very good at accountability compared to other communities and part of it was because the straight mainstream media like was having a field day reporting on it because <laughs> it seems like there were they were all too eager to take down like a queer person as you know so to what extent do you think it was the straight media being so ready to <laughs> both. it was both it was yeah. totally both i mean think about it if you're like so okay you're a straight magazine producer right, right? like you run fader or something and it's like What's the juiciest story that could drop right now? Would it be the Safer Spaces band not being a safe space? Yes. Is the band also the most, like, click-generating, literally (laughs) (laughs) glitter-soaked, like, band that you can think of that has had an album being teased for months into the lead-up? Like, I mean, you can't forget, like, this happened on album day. Yes. So when people talk about how quickly they were dropped, it's because they had 12 hours to either drop or not drop. It's either drop or let's make money off of the abuser band and sell a billion copies of this album. Like there were there were cellophane stacks of this album in around the world record stores waiting to sell on that day with like party packs and things with stickers and all of this crazy stuff. So much merch, so much money behind it. Um so they had to. They had to clip it at that moment or or risk being complicit to this ugly, terrible thing. Yeah. That's still wild, though, because no one's holding back the records from, like, all of the straight white male abusers, right? right? Like, those are still out there. People are right. still supporting them all the time. And so it's both. But it's really, it's just wild to be like, oh, we could have been doing this the whole time. Like, we could use this model that was, like, rightly used in the right. Power Bottom case and then, like, use it anytime people are called out. And, like, also, it's different talking about it now in the middle of, like, the wave of sexual assault allegations mm-hmm. that have been going through. But, like, at this time, it was never... No- nothing was taken seriously. And all of a sudden, yeah. it was, like, handled in this one case. And you're like, wow, what if you just did that yeah. and all the time? It's crazy having, like... You know, the whole culture is talking about, like, this Weinstein effect. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this isn't a Weinstein effect. Right. Like, this has been going on. Um and, you know, it's been going on for years right. across, especially, though, in queer communities. Mm-hmm. Any kind of community that feels marginalized from the mainstream population to the point where they're, like, not involving, like, cops or normal justice systems is going to create ad hoc means of protection like safer spaces and accountability processes and stuff. So queer people being illegal for centuries <laughs> to exist, you know, have always <clears throat> have always kind of come up with these things. Um, so, yeah, it was a perfect storm of the album dropping the next day, the fact that they were queer, the straight press laughing it up at the queer perverts and also just the community that they were from. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, like, the people that got hurt the most were... Like fans. the fans who, teens. yeah, teens who were like, this is the band that I love. I love it with my whole heart. Yep. And then one day someone would have been like, hey, what happened to that band you liked? And you're just like, oh, never. I never want to talk about them again. Never yep. mind. Never yeah. mind. Don't mention it to me ever again. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. It, it sucks. And it sucks, you know, having been a part of the project, even just as a support musician, like, you know, it was a lot of work and it was a lot of like, I mean, it was amazing, but it's also like. Those things that you want as a musician, like getting like getting on KEXP and like going on the Chris Gethard show and stuff, like amazing experiences that now are just like, 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Not to center the narrative around me, but it was it was a weird time. Let's oh, just totally. Say. No, it yeah. seems it seems very weird. Well, what else is coming up for you? Well, so my band Fitz just put an album out, um, and that's very exciting for us. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a bunch of work, and we we put it out on Father Daughter in November, and did a tour with our friends Yucky Duster. Uh, and so what's coming up is probably just making more songs and playing around the New York area mostly. Uh, if we can pack another tour in this year, that would be sick. But I'm not planning one yet. Yeah. Should we mention that your album is somehow 12 songs but 20 minutes long? And so if you want to listen, like it, you can just listen 100 times. It'll yeah. Be great. If you have one minute. <laughs> yeah. You can listen you to a can song. listen to Fitz. <laughs> You got a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, then, the last question. Nice, easy softball for you. What do you think is the future of gender? Or what would you like it to be? The future of gender? That's a great question. Um, I would love for the future of gender to progress as a conversation in a healthy and interesting way. Um, I think that where we're at right now is really exciting, but it's also, I think, a time where there are more questions than answers out here. And I think that um, the mechanism of our dialogue is making it difficult to to move the conversation beyond educating cis people on what gender is. I think that's a lot of the focus right now for obvious reasons because the whole concept of being a non-binary is going more mainstream. There is now a U.S. state that recognizes a third gender. It's this one. Yeah. Hell, <laughs> is it Oregon? It's Oregon and California. There's two nice. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So a lot of the dialogue right now is I feel like we're stuck in like the 2013 to 2015 Tumblr whirlpool vortex of like going over the basics, like gender 101. Um, that's good. It's practically good, and I understand it, but I would love, like, even just personally, I identify as non-binary. That's more of, like, a thing that I'm not than a thing that I am, you know? Mm-hmm. I think for me, probably there are people with similar experiences. It began as, like, thinking maybe I was trans and maybe a girl and sort of settling that, no, there's something more, like, uh, just different than that, something uh, that's not binary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's been really fun to explore, like, presentation-wise. Um, but maybe I'm just not reading enough. I just feel a little bit, like, lost in the woods as a culture in terms of where we're we're heading with this conversation. So I I want it to be... I'm ready for us to start talking and continue talking about the, the possibilities of of what's out there and, and who we can be. Yeah, I also wonder to what extent, like, trying to 
verbally define different people's gender experience is helpful Mm -hmm. because sometimes labels can be helpful and to what extent it is just making things more confused and convoluted because like you said non-binary isn't really like a gender identity it's just (laughs) like you don't fit these two so let's throw you in this big pot and do we want to go through and try to articulate like oh you're a shmshmshma and I'm a Mm -hmm. shmshmshma or do we just want to sort of let everyone have their own experience and not worry so much about and I don't know the answer to that I think it's different I don't know there's a lot of people sort of I think and linguistically tap dancing around stuff like who is a femme yes I was about to say that right now Mm -hmm. that people are asking because I think for a while I mean let's let's start with this women only spaces have always been a historic important part of gender movements queerness lesbianism um the rift with not allowing women who are trans, trans women into that space, I think has torn like a schism through all of queerness where we can't just have women only spaces. We should, there should be women only spaces and trans women should be in them. They're women. Like that's fine. Um, But we're at this point where people are afraid to say women only because it, there, there's like a red light that's like, is this a turf comment? Like, are you including trans women? Which is understandable. But so we've gone to just non-men instead. I don't think non-binary people always need to be grouped in with women just because they're not men. Um, you know, like I'm not a woman. Right. <laughs> like I'm not a man, but I'm not a woman. So right. I don't necessarily feel like non-men is good enough. Um, and because I don't think it, it tells me who you're trying to reach. Right. That's the thing is when folks will often ask me like how they should phrase their yeah. poster or whatever. Yeah. And it's like it really depends what your space is for. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a lot of times when folks will say like no cis men. And I'm worried because I right. I like fuck what a cis that? man. But also like, yeah, well, it also is dividing like, oh, well, trans men are OK, but cis men aren't right. OK, which Why? is sort of invalidating of a male biology? experience. Right. Exactly. And so then, it you know, and it becomes like women and femme. They're like, what's a femme? And it's like, OK, women and non-binary folks and femme and and trans men and you're just yeah. like listing every possible gender <laughs> except for a it, yeah, except and it's like i get it like you don't want a dude with a dick yeah. <laughs> in the space. okay i get that um but you can't define people by their genitalia right you can't say that trans men aren't men right exactly They're that's men. what i'm worried about they're is just that, trans yes exactly <laughs> um and also Something that I've experienced a lot recently is other people saying this space is for women and non-binary folks. Mm -hmm. I'm like, great. That's Mm -hmm. me. I'll be there. And I get there and they're like, ladies, ladies, women, 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 ladies, ladies, ladies. And it's like, no, if this space is for women and non-binary folks, you need to accommodate the non-binary folks. You need to, you know, have gender neutral bathrooms. You need to include them in your language. You can't just put them on the sign and be like, non-binary folks are welcome to come. And then not acknowledge that you invited them. And so, like, if you're making a woman-only space, just make it a fucking women-only space. I think what these people are really after is they're saying, we want women and people who I think are women. Right. (laughs) Who are female-bodied in my mind. Yeah. Right? So, I don't care what their gender is. I just want these bodies. I love that. It's like really like a cheat to go back to like just gender binary. It's yeah. just like women and the people that I want to. I know. I, was, I, I made that. a joke the other day. It was like, 
like if one of these people goes up to a non-binary couple, it's like, so which is the mask and which is the phone? Right, exactly. You know, that's you're just doing. doing a binary again. That's that's what really frustrates me with women and femmes is yeah. it's like, oh, now you're making me feel like I personally need to figure out whether I'm a femme or not. Mm-hmm. The whole reason I'm non-binary is because I don't fucking know <laughs> if I'm a femme or not. So yeah. why are you doing this to me? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, that's that's so yeah. real. But and then, it, then yeah. people are, I think people are afraid to get specific and they're afraid to say things wrong. And mm-hmm. it's putting in, us in this really awkward linguistic space. I don't right. think we have to be here, but this is where <laughs> we are. And I think the problem is that a lot of these spaces, they are for the people who feel like they should be there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it should be like, here's the event description. Do yes. you feel like this is an event for you? Right. Go to this event. Do you feel like this event probably isn't for you? Don't go to this event. And like, no one feels comfortable doing that. And so they just try to outline it instead of instead of just trusting that people can feel when a space is right for them or not. And like, especially queer and trans people, we know when spaces are for us and when they're not. Like we can feel when people are welcoming us and when it's like, just not totally something for us. Uh, That's great point that we just tagged on to the end. (laughs) I agree with us. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Molly. It was a blast. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for joining us. If you had a good time, please, please, please subscribe and tell all your gender-pondering pals to subscribe because we absolutely cannot do this without your help. Speaking of which, if you're in the Apple Podcast app, can you scroll down a little bit and click on that five-star rating? And if you're really digging what you hear, uh, consider donating a dollar or more on patreon.com slash gender. Whatever you choose to do, I truly, truly appreciate you helping us get the word out about our new show. We're so excited to share it with folks. The show was produced and edited by me, Molly Woodstock, with help from Liza Yeager. Find Nicholas's band Fitz at hahafitz.bandcamp.com or on Twitter at hahafitz. Our logo is by the talented Michelle Lai, and our music is by the legendary Breakmaster Cylinder. If you have feedback or suggestions or gender questions, hit us up on Twitter at G-E-N-D-E-R-E-V-E-A-L or by email at G-E-N-D-E-R-E-V-E-A-L at gmail.com. That is gender review with one R. I'll see you next week. Bye.